Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salib Huber. I'm an intuitive eating dietitian and naturopathic doctor, and I help women manage menopause without dieting and food rules. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. And if you're looking for more information about menopause nutrition and intuitive eating, check out the Midlife Feast community, my monthly membership that combines my no-nonsense approach that you all love to nutrition with community so that you can learn from me and others who can relate to the cheers and challenges of midlife. Hey there, welcome to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. I was talking to someone the other week and they said, man, this aging thing is complicated. And what they were talking about was that they were kind of loving this stage of life for lots of reasons. Their kids were grown. They, you know, felt like they had more independence. They had, you know, fewer financial obligations. Their house was paid off. And yet they were starting to kind of feel this weight, for lack of a better word, of aging that they were kind of carrying around, kind of like, I feel myself getting older, I feel myself slowing down, I'm achier. And so I'm not sure how I feel about getting older. So I think that you're going to really enjoy this conversation that I had with Deb Benfield. Deb is also known as um, her account is Aging Body Liberation on Instagram, but she's also a fellow dietitian, um, non-diet dietitian who has worked with people and the eating disorder and disordered eating spaces. And she's bringing a really refreshing conversation to the one around aging. So I hope you'll have a listen. I'd love to have more of these conversations because as you'll learn, what we believe about getting older is one of the biggest influences on how we experience it. So have a listen and let me know what you think. Hi, Deb. Welcome to the Midlife Feast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So, um, like I always say this about so many of my guests, we connected through Instagram. Um, and you know, I, I have definitely admired your work and followed you for, for a while now. And we've exchanged a few messages over the last, you know, couple Mm -hmm. of years about, you know, things that we have in common, but tell, Mm -hmm. why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and and what you do? Yeah. Well, I just want to say right back at you. I love what you're up to (laughs) in the world. Yes. Thank you. I am a registered dietitian who has been in practice for almost 40 years now. I'll be 65 in just a few weeks. And I've been specializing in preventing and treating disordered eating and eating disorders my entire career. I got very fortunate in that my supervisor was a therapist and Mm -hmm. specializing in this. So I automatically went down this road and I'm very passionate about it. And when I turned 60, I got very upset, disappointed, angry, sad about the messages I'm hearing about aging and how it's all so contaminated, in my opinion, by diet and wellness culture and the anti-aging messages and I think ageism in general. So I really pivoted and really focused on providing what I thought I needed at the time and what I hear from other women that they feel very much that their internalized ageism is contributing to more difficulty, if not relapse in their eating disorder. So that's what I'm up to. So you said something that I think we need to clarify, because I'm sure that some people listening 
you're going to think, wait a minute, did she just say internalized ageism? Yeah. What, what is that? It's when, well, let me just say we all are ageist because our cultures, depending on where you live, I think it's particularly hard in the USA and parts of Europe where there's such a push and a loud diet and wellness culture, we've all internalized that it's bad to be older and good to be younger, just like in the same way we think thinner is always better and bigger is always bad, right? It's very, very intertwined and it's sometimes it's hard to separate them. But, you know, starting when we were kids, we were hearing stories about older women and they were never, never good. (laughs) They're usually scary. And there's also all of this mythology around when you get older, you get stuck in your ways and air quotes and like frail and forgetful. And, you know, the mythology around aging is unquestioned by a lot of people. And I think the data actually supports a very different reality. And it's helpful to get to know that because we know, and I don't know how far you want me to go with this answer, but we know that beliefs about aging that are very, very negative actually alter your health and your longevity even, all the way to the point of Dr. Levy's research, and we can link all this if you'd like, that you yes, live yes. seven and a half years longer if you have a positive attitude around your own aging. So why I'm so interested in it is that the way we start to want to white knuckle around our bodies and controlling aging contributes to real difficulty with how we nourish ourselves and how we move and all the things that you talk about. And it's so true. I mean, you know, how we, how we think and feel about ourselves as Mm -hmm. individuals moving through this world, how can it not impact our experience of living in this world? Um, I heard it once described about, you know, the, this mask of age that Mm -hmm. people will have almost like an out of body experience of like, I don't feel the way that I look, or I feel that I look so much older than I feel when I'm living my body. Is it because of this internalized ageism that we have that disconnect between what we see and what we feel? Sure. I'm not sure. I think part of what I'm hearing and what you're saying is if we attribute older to like all these negative things, then perhaps that contributes to the disconnects because you don't feel what you believe older actually is. If we really dismantle our internalization and look at the fact that we're all so unique, we're the most heterogeneous group of people on the planet. The older, the longer you live, the more unique you are. That's you know, dad. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So for your particular experience to really get to know what's the truth for you versus the story that you're carrying around what an older person is, maybe that would be helpful in the disconnect. But I think that disconnect is very, very common and probably very intertwined with some of the other things we know about what we perceive 
about our bodies. I think it's a very complicated experience. And I think we don't really know the answer to that question, but this could be a piece. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it is complicated because we're also, I think, you know, our, our generation and, you know, kind of give or take, you know, 10, 15 years we're I think unique in that we're really pushing for a life well-lived beyond mm-hmm. our reproductive sure. years. Sure. Um, you know, we're really pushing for wanting mm-hmm. to stay active in whatever, in, in whatever it is that you do. Like this is really just like a season of life. I mean, statistics have come out mm-hmm. that, you know, we're going to spend 30 to 40% of our life in post-menopause. Um, you know, I was menopausal before my 45th birthday. I'm kind of hoping for 50% at least. And, you know, like I've had to shift beliefs around what it looks like and what it feels like to be a postmenopausal woman in my forties. Um, you know, it definitely required some reflections around like, what did I, what did I think this was going to look like? <laughs> what, what were yeah. my expectations? Um, yeah. And, what and a lot of self. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that we've internalized without awareness, like everything else about our bodies, right? There's only one way to look. And I just have to say, I'm not, particularly comfortable with the way the pro-aging community is portraying older, especially women, in that there's an awful lot of the same beauty ideal portrayed, the same thinness, the same fitness being amplified with silver hair. It's just, it feels like the pressure just won't like let up. And, you know, the Sports Illustrated cover yeah, I think I was just going to say, I think we're thinking of the same cover. Um, yes, we are. And, and it was, and it was very polarized because there was mm-hmm. some people who saw it as such a positive represent, a good thing that, hey, look, here's this older person who, you know, is still worthy of being on the cover. Um, and then there was the rest of us who were like, okay, but it's just another ideal that no one can, well, most people aren't naturally going to age like that, look like that. Um, And so it's not actually holding up any kind of inspiration. It's just another comparison where most people are going to feel like they fall short. Like to me immediately, I had a visceral reaction to like, really? Come on. (laughs) Like, come on. Um, yeah. But it's hard though because you do have people, you know, again, uh, you know, our, our generation, I think we're, we're pushing a lot of boundaries around what we can do, um, mm-hmm. how we can, I'm not going to use the word pro-aging because I don't love it either, but just kind of age well and gracefully, like, you know, uh, just in terms of, and by well, I mean like maintaining mobility, maintaining activity, independence, like all of those things. I think that we are far more aware of how those contributions can really impact our life. And so there are people I think who are looking different than our grandmothers did in their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, who are doing things in those age groups that our grandmothers would never have dreamt of doing, which ultimately is is a good thing. I think that there's a a lot of positive role modeling that's happening there, Mm -hmm. but I still see so much of it based on looks. 
I still see so much of it based on holding up the thin ideal, the, you know, the inspiration of like the fit, athletic, Mm -hmm. muscly 65 year old in the gym is what we should all be working towards. Um, I'd love to kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And I think with that lifting up and the constant presence, I mean, there's literally zero biodiversity in this movement. I just keep looking for it. I just keep looking for it. Please show me, tell me that I'm wrong. Is there diversity anywhere where we have older bodies with any diversity? I think there may be a little bit more in Europe than there is in the U.S. I think there's a lot more to learn. I think we're behind when it comes to this conversation. But I think with that amplification of fitness and what I think are the outliers, you know, the marathon runners and the the things that I see lifted up, yes, I see that's exciting and I'm inspired and it feels like pressure. And with that pressure, there's also pressure about our diets and how we nourish ourselves. It's right in there, right there. I just posted yesterday about this hard message we're receiving about very high protein intake and how ridiculous that is and how it's and I know you probably talked about it plenty, so I'll just drop it right there. But it's, no, it it's always right needs in there. To be reinforced. It always needs to be reinforced yeah. because it yeah. is it is definitely, I think, the most confusing thing because there is, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion, there is the truth of slightly increased protein needs <laughs> and the the benefit of bringing some gentle nutrition to the conversations mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. the prioritize it at all costs and by all means necessary. Those are two very different conversations. Thank you. Thank you. And what I know happens in myself and my clients and my friends, when you get all in your head about getting the grams right, you cannot really honor your own bodies response. So I'm just going to insert a little bit of how I I talk about it because many people have told me that this has been helpful. Um, I talk about protein as a starring role, a supporting role, or a cameo. So in my community, we've got a whole module on how to undiet your beliefs about protein and also how to add it in through gentle nutrition. And we just have visuals of like, these are starring roles. These can like hold their own on your plate as the protein. These are supporting roles. You might need a couple. Then these are cameos. You're going to need four or five to like make it up and just kind of bringing in that like common sense of Mm -hmm. you don't have to know whether you have 22 grams or 26 grams of protein. That makes no difference. Um, But if you can know what is generally about five, generally about 25, you can make decisions easily, intuitively, um, without having to worry and count and measure and track. Mm -hmm. And that is Mm -hmm. a huge thing that people need to realize is that you don't have to count, measure and track every bite of anything, especially protein. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a couple of things I want to add to that. One is, 
Yes, your please. body's not running on like one, like you must get it right every day. <laughs> your body yes. has the capacity to adapt and roll with it. Believe me, you will not be punished <laughs> if you have a day that's like, whoa, where was the protein today? It can be totally, completely fine. It doesn't have to be perfect every day. And what I hear from women on Instagram, the comments on my post yesterday, there are so many women. And of course, I get lots of DMs and lots of people contacting me about the fact that they had an eating disorder earlier in their lives. They fought really hard to recover, to mend, to heal their relationship with food and eating and their bodies. And now it's really hard. So if there is any talk about a, a dogmatic message about should, that just really triggers them, really. Because there are some brains that are wired to have more Velcro for the details, you know, to try to get it exactly right all the time and to be driven by some rules. It feels people feel safer when they're following the rules and being good, so to speak. So to be aware of that about yourself and to really, really protect yourself as much as you can about this dogma because it's very hard. It's very triggering. Let's talk a little bit about the intersection of ageism and disordered eating. Um, So we've talked on this podcast before with Val Schoenberg about the eating disorder, you know, risk that increases in midlife that seems to be appearing in the research pretty clearly that this yes. is like a window of, of vulnerability um, yes. and especially for people who yes. have maybe already, um, you know, had an eating disorder at any point in their life. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. is that intersecting with this ageism? Yeah, I think the reality and the truth and normalcy, please, this is normal for your body to change. As you know. mm-hmm. And we just say life is long if you're lucky. Your body changes over time, and that's okay. That's my one of my big, big messages. And a lot of that is about fear of what happens when you age. I think the storyline around frailty and dementia and dependency, all the fears that I hear people really using, like really, in my opinion manipulating us to be afraid that we're going to fall if we don't keep our protein intake high and go to strength training. And I'm not saying it's not okay to pay attention to your movement and your nourishment, but to use your fear of aging as a way to manipulate people back into rigidity and dogmatic relationship with eating and movement. That's where I have a problem. And I think we need to educate ourselves around real aging because my platform is aging is not a problem. It's ageism that's the problem. It's what we believe. It's what we believe. It's just like, you know, fat is not a problem. It's fat phobia that's the problem. It's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. They're best friends. 
It's like if you start thinking about it in those terms, it's very helpful. It's not your aging body that's the problem. It's your beliefs and your thoughts about your aging body that you've inherited. So dismantling all of that will really empower you to move into this sacred, beautiful time of life. And so I have some recommendations. I have some reading and TED Talk recommendations. My favorite book is, and I'm not at all getting anything out of this. I just think (laughs) what I did when I started all of this work, I'm very nerdy. So it was fun for me to read all these books and do all this research and to pitch the things that I was hearing died in wellness culture mess. So this is vetted. Everything I'm saying has been vetted. So there are only a couple of things. It's really sad. There are only a couple of things to say uh, as far as resources. But Tracy Gendron's book, Ageism Unmasked, Exploring Age Bias and How to End It, so helpful. Tiny book, packed, full of information. And we've talked about Becca Levy's book, Breaking the Age Code, where she Mm -hmm. does the research on our beliefs and how that really alters our actual health outcomes so those two books are my faves those are great and we'll uh, we'll link those in the show notes too and i think that you know this is another layer that is Mm -hmm. you know just kind of starting to have its moment because you know the anti-aging and the pro-aging have been really loud voices um and often under the umbrella of wellness culture and diet culture like do this Oh, I'm not doing intermittent fasting to lose weight. I'm doing it to age well. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I do love, I love myth yeah. busting. Um, I love belief busting. And I think that anything that we can do mm. to shift our beliefs, um, yeah. you know, in a, in a way that feels safer. Because what I tell people about making decisions out of fear is that if you make a decision out of fear, it is going to feel mm-hmm. urgent and it is going to feel like your survival, like you need it to survive. And that's never a great place to make a decision. We make the best decisions when we feel safe. And you can't do that if you're always making a decision to avoid something. Right. And like what we're talking about now, this fear mongering around what happens when you age and what you just said about specific kinds of diets and what people are starting to believe not based on good data, and really potentially toxic. Those kinds of things set up a nervous system dysregulation that in and of itself is, I mean, we know that stress and anxiety contributed to, sorry, to cognitive decline. So mm-hmm. wait a minute. And we know that perimenopause, menopause, which is when I think the aging conversation the fear of aging starts to trickle into your brain. I mean, really, women in their 30s are contacting me right and left. It's mind-blowing to me. I mean, Botox starts in your 20s. I can't, I'm not even going to go there. But that kind of fear really does change the function of your brain. And we yeah. know that when you're going through perimenopause, menopause, you already have more anxiety. You are, I mean, that's one of the symptoms that most of us experience or experienced in my case. So really not feeding your brain, undernourishing your body so that you have an undernourished brain causes the very same symptoms. And I'm sure you've talked about this. 
So, yeah. And I, I'd like to also bring into this conversation. It just occurred to me, um, you know, one of the, I don't know what to call it. It's not an obstacle, but so for example, in my community, we often, you know, we're talking about body acceptance. It's a huge part of, of what we're working on and just kind of accepting your body where it is. You don't have to love it. Um, you don't have to like it, but you do need to be able to treat it with kindness and respect because it is the only one you have. Right. So, you know, but one of the things that often comes up is like, I get what you're saying, but man, it was a lot easier to love my body when my knees didn't hurt. And man, it was a lot easier when I was like 20 years young and didn't have this. How do you, and, and I mean, I had a meniscus tear a couple of years ago that was, you know, aging and wear and tear. How do we like find that safe spot when we're maybe kind of working through some of the normal natural consequences of an aging body and feeling like, well, if I had tried harder, if I had done more, maybe it wouldn't, I wouldn't be in this place. That's where I find it's hard to really live the, the, the body acceptance because it, you can't help but sometimes think, well, I could have, could have done something differently. It's my fault. Or it was easier when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like 16 things. So it's really hard to contain my excitement, but one of the things that I think is important is self-compassion practice. And you have to practice this. This is not naturally occurring experience. You have to practice the fact that you did not cause these issues and these changes. These are natural and to normalize how our bodies change. Yeah. And I think we need to hold up. It's okay to grieve the loss of your younger body. It's okay and it's necessary. I call it aging body grief. You have to experience that. You have to let yourself feel it in order to move into acceptance. And the next chapter, you have to let yourself feel and acknowledge, yes, there's loss. There's loss of my knees that could do these things. There is loss of like a waistline that you could wear this size. I mean, all those things are normal and natural to feel it's, it's interesting to hold a contradiction of feeling positive about aging and it's okay to grieve the, the loss of your younger body. Holding both of those, it's confusing for people, but necessary. And statements are my one of the, my favorite tools to, to use personally and with the people that I work with because yeah. it keeps you out of the all or nothing thinking. It keeps you out of yes. the, it has to be one or the other. Like we're, we're yeah. humans and we're messy and we're going to have two sometimes messy emotions happening at the same time. Um, yeah. And being able Perfect to, example. Mm-hmm. you know, together is, is helpful. Yes, I think it's sure. such a great reminder that it's okay to feel like I wish mm-hmm. I had my 25 year old knees um, okay. while also, you know, being grateful that you still have knees. <laughs> right? Yeah. There's a lot of privilege in aging and really remembering that huge privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to share about ageism and, and the work that you're doing? Um, Cause yeah. I feel like this is, this is a topic that, really needs to be, we need to hear about this more because there's, you know, there's so many other voices that are getting airtime and, and this is an important oh, yeah. one. It is. I think people, especially women, need to really educate themselves, as I've said, but I also think surrounding yourself with good 
folk tales where the crone image is the wise, strong, like amazing leader that the crone can be. Like to really give yourself the time and the attention around embracing a different story, a different hero or shero for your life. But aging can be amazingly powerful. My experience on the other side of perimenopause menopause is I feel amazing. And I know that could change today. But I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of focus. I have capacity for a very full life. Right now, I'm telling you, it's 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 my favorite time. I'm excited about it. I, I say the same thing. You know, I wouldn't yeah. change. I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't change anything. I'm so excited mm-hmm. about this stage of my life. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I feel good. Yeah. Sometimes things hurt yeah. a bit more, but I feel good. Yeah. I think that needs to be spoken frequently. <laughs> awesome. Let's start shouting that from the rooftop. <laughs> Absolutely. Every chance I get. So, Deb, I always ask my guests, what do you think is the missing ingredient in midlife? Understanding that this bridge, this transition, is an amazing opportunity to get to know your, what I think was your girlhood, authentic, brave and courageous, full of creativity self. So really see this as an opportunity to emerge. That's how I feel about it. I, I want to hear more of that. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. So I know that people are going to want to hear more from you. So where can they find you in the work that you do? Well, my handle on Instagram is aging body liberation. And if you go there, you can find everything else. that I do, it's probably the easiest thing to do. My awesome. name is Deborah D E B R A Benfield.com. I mean, I'm sorry. That's my website is my name. So you can find all of my offerings. I do one-on-one coaching workshops three or four times a year and ongoing small group um, coaching with a membership of people who have been through that coaching. So it's a by invitation only membership. So lots, lots going on, but I'm very active on Instagram. And we'll put those links in the show notes too. So thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom today, Deb. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. For more non-diet health, hormone, and general midlife support, click the link in the show notes to learn how you can work and learn from me. And if you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, please consider leaving a review or subscribing because it helps other women just like you find us and feel supported in midlife.